20 years ago, December 24, day before Christmas, day after my birthday, remember that, December 23rd, um, in the year 2000, I was uh, 48 years old, and um, day before Christmas, I believe that's Bill Henthorne's birthday, the 24th, that's, that's right, it was your birthday, on your birthday, in 2000. I preached this message. It was a unique message that came to me while I was studying the tabernacle. One of the hard things a pastor of a church has to endure is not being able to repeat your messages very often. An evangelist gets a good message that God gives him, and he gets to go to this church and do it, and the next church and do it, and the next church and do it, and the next church and do it, and he gets to spread it all over the country. And, uh, man, by the time they, they've preached it five, six, seven times, they've honed it, gotten some of their non-essential things out of it, more essential things in it. They don't stutter. Uh, they, they know where they're going. They don't have to look at their notes after a while. We'll have evangelists here, and people will come to me, young, young Christians usually, not older Christians, but younger Christians will come to me and say, Preacher, why don't you preach like he preaches? And I humor him, and I'll say, because I don't get to do what anything I do, I get to do one time. And that's just warming up. And then I got to move on. I got to move on to another one. Somebody's coughing. I didn't hear anything, but take care of it, will you? You girls specifically are the ones that take care of that. I don't want men taking care of that. You girls are responsible to take care of that. And so, I think it was clear enough, right? I, um, I saw the tabernacle, the tabernacle, and what's amazing about this is I'm revisiting the study of the tabernacle in 2 Corinthians as we're going through 2 Corinthians and as we're going through Hebrews. And so in Hebrews, uh, it, it, in chapter 9, it specifically, the first five verses, talks about the tabernacle, Solomon's temple some. The tabernacle was the first structure in which God met with, with the children of Israel. Most of you know that. It was a movable structure, portable structure, it was 15 feet wide by 45 feet long. That's it. Uh, it was not big. None of the furniture in it was big. It had a curtain to get in it, the holy place, and then the most holy place had another curtain that separated the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was just a piece of furniture that God had to make where the blood would be applied that in the Day of Atonement once a year, the priest, the high priest, usually a descendant of Aaron, would come in once a year with blood. First, he would offer for himself and the people, and then he would, he would bring the blood in, and he would sprinkle it according to instruction on this thing called the mercy seat, which was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, if you want to put it that way. And it would make an atonement for the sins of the nation as well as the sins of the individual being done more and more regularly, as the law of Moses indicated. 
And so I saw in this tabernacle the plan of salvation written 1,400 years prior to it happening. 1,400 years, which is about 1,400 B.C. The law of Moses was given on Mount Sinai. Back in Genesis, some 4,000 years before Christ, uh, in Genesis 3.15, there was indication of a Christ that was to come of the seed of woman, and he would crush the serpent's head once and for all, take his power away. And everybody has been waiting for that day. That has not, In part, it has happened. At the resurrection, there was a crushing of some degree of the power of Satan, but it's not finished yet. It's still not, well, you know it's not finished. Look around. I mean, how? He's still the prince and power of the air, is he not? Satan's still the god of this world. You, you would not call Jesus the god of this world. It would be a whole lot different than what it is today, right? Because the prince of peace, when he rules, there's going to be peace over all the earth. From one end to the other, there'll be peace. The word of God will flow over this world like the waters of the ocean. They'll flow over it. No man will say to his neighbor, know the Lord, for all shall know me. It'll be a great time to live. You will be there. You people are born from above and then birthed into the kingdom. You will be part of the uh, management team of the millennial period. And where you're put in that management team depends on how and what you do with what you've been given now. How did you do with the light? What did you do with the light you've been given this side of death? And when you are judged, you'll be given certain responsibilities and things according to your uh, willingness to be faithful now. And so you'll be able, it'll be a great time, great time. Oh, my. We'll be able to have more. There'll be mortal people like you and me with, uh, with bodies like ours. And then we will be among them with a body like unto his glorious body, an eternal body. And I have to stop for time on that. Uh, but we, the tabernacle... God, God loves to give us a little indication of what was coming back all the way back in Genesis 3.15 in the Law of Moses in 1400 B.C. The tabernacle gave it. Now, the tabernacle eventually was replaced by Solomon's temple. Most of you know that when David, became, well, first Saul became king, David became king, Solomon became king. David really was the one who wanted to build it. David had been a man of war, shedding a lot of blood. God said, mm, I don't want a man of blood, a man of war to do it. I want your son to do it, Solomon. So he had Solomon do it, and he built it, and expanded the size of it a little bit. Also, the height, the size, and the width made it a little bit larger. Uh, it was a wonderful temple, glorious temple, beautiful place. It was destroyed uh, by the Babylonians in about uh, 585 B.C. So um, from about 1,000 B.C. to about 585, was the Solomon's temple time, and no more the tabernacle that was gone, didn't need it. And then for a while, they didn't have a temple at all. And about zero, just about, oh, 46 B.C. or so, there got to be a guy by the call of Herod the Great, and he built him a temple, worked about 46 years doing it, to get him a temple uh, when Jesus came on the scene. And so as the Bible says, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made a woman under the law to redeem them that were under the law. And so that was the time of Jesus. It was just the right time that he appeared as the Lamb of God, the Messiah. 
all that was foreshadowed. It's amazing how God's plan of salvation was even before the world began. I can't put my mind around all this, but I'm going to tell you the truth. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, Peter says, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold, uh, from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers. You're not saved by, you're not, we're not saved by the tradition, religious tradition, or any of that. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And verse 20 is to knock your socks off, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Hello? Was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. It was not a surprise to God that Adam fell. It was not a surprise that Eve took the fruit under temptation. God's foreknowledge had prepared, and God had prepared, uh, and God the Son was willing to, the only way it was going to work was God the Son was going to have to literally die for the sins of mankind. And whosoever would believe in him then could be saved. That was the gospel before the foundation of the world. So we in, the New, we in the New Testament have had these things revealed, and we know secrets that nobody knew before us. Matthew chapter 13, 35. That it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open the, my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. What we've learned in the New Testament, and I don't know if you understand the full privilege of what you get by having the Bible in the New Testament, uh, if you read through the Old Testament and then you read the New Testament, there's many things in the New Testament revealed uh, who the Christ is, number one, <clears throat> how he was going to atone for the sins of mankind. His resurrection was clearly, clearly spoken of. Isaiah chapter 53 is about as clear as, as you're going to get in the Old Testament about the one who was to come and take part in substitutionary atonement. But in the New Testament, my, oh my, we have such clear, clear instructions. These people are memorizing some of those places. Romans chapter 8 is such a clear uh, revelation, explanation of what is going on. Um, but God did not leave those before us without some sort of a witness of a coming Savior. Written in the very tabernacle or the tent of meeting where the, the, the children of Israel could meet with God was a foreshadowing of Jesus' life, his death, and his sacrifice. Where is that found? Well, what we're going to talk about tonight is a few moments. We'll talk about the color or colors of the curtain that separated the holy place from the holiest place, the most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant was, that curtain. Uh, that curtain was, uh, well... In Exodus, in Exodus chapter 26, verse 31, thou shalt make a veil of blue, of purple, and of scarlet, starting at the top, blue, purple, scarlet, and fine twine linen of cunning work, with cherubim shall be made. In chapter 26, verse 33, it says, and thou shalt hang up the veil under the, under the tatches that thou mayest bring in hither within the veil of the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy place. So what I want to show you uh, is, is the gospel written in the colors of the tabernacle. There's significance in each one of these colors. Uh, go ahead and put the blue up there if you would. The first mention of the color of this curtain is blue. 
By the way, I'm going to tell you in a few moments how thick it was. It was amazing material that had been put up there. Blue, blue indicates heaven. Blue indicates sky above. Uh, the gospel starts in heaven. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 47, the first man is of earth, earthy. The second man is Lord from heaven. As I read to you in Peter, the plan of salvation was discussed long before the world was made. They knew that when man fell, this would be the only way that a just God could remain just and yet forgive sin. How can a just God forgive sin? Think of a judge. When somebody commits a murder, a judge doesn't have the power just to waive that. They can't just waive that. Somebody, that. Something must be paid for that murder. Bible says life for life, blood for blood. And so that's exactly what happens really with Jesus. The blood of the Lord Jesus, being God manifest in the flesh, was poured out and spilt for you and for me and was enough to satisfy whosoever would believe. It satisfied the justice of God concerning the punishment for the crimes that have been committed. God the Father, or if I may say, Jesus is, was not just a nice man, a good man, a great prophet, a righteous man. He was Lord from heaven, 1 Corinthians 15, 47. He was Lord from heaven, deity. God the Father confirmed this at Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3, 17, when he says, Lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus said of himself, John chapter 3, verse 31, He that cometh from above is above all. And he that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. But he that cometh from, earth, from heaven is above all. Who's he speaking of? Where did he come from? He came from heaven. Speaking of himself. So at the top of the curtain, we see separating the holy place from the most holy place was the color blue, indicating that salvation started with God. It started from God to man, from heaven to earth. The second color is purple. You can go ahead and put purple up there. How's it look? Not very good. The purple, this is the best we could do. Uh, the purple was a deep purple. It was, it was a rich purple. The blue was a deep blue, a rich blue, uh, uh, you know, attention getting. So without dispute, in the Bible and other places, uh, purple indicates royalty. Jesus came as the king of the Jews. The prophets knew the Savior would be a king. For the wise men said in Matthew 2, 2, saying, Where is, is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Oh, Herod, attention went up. Another king, a competitor. Oh, uh, uh, well, uh, king, yeah. He, they, so way back in Matthew 2, 2, when, they, when the wise men came, they were coming to find a king, and they found him. Jesus confessed to Pilate he was a king, Matthew 27, 11. Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, Thou sayest. And he went on to say, For such a, was the reason was I born, and came. Pilate then, after he heard that he was working with a king, spiritually at least, uh, it took some, uh, slowed it down a little bit. The Roman soldiers mocked him as the king of the Jews, Matthew 27, 29. And when they had platted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and, re and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him. 
and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. The public title that was a superscript, as they call it, was written and hung above every criminal that was crucified, was his crime was hung above him. Nothing was different about Jesus. It was hung over his head on the cross. Matthew 27, 37 says, And they set over his head an accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Remember what the Pharisees thought about that, right? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't say, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Say, he said he was, and I like Pilate. What I've written, I've written. He knew they were just political. What I've written, I've written. But God used Pilate as his instrument to do that for his son. Just like God, in my mind, no doubt, has used Trump to help us uh, as, a, as Christians in our country to position us in a better place than we were and would have been under Hillary, hello, or Newsom, or Whitmer, or Kamala, or any of those people who seem to hate everything that's godly. So the, this election is not a normal political election. Normal political election, we'd be talking about economic different policies. The preacher never mentioned that. But when they got into whether we should kill a baby or not before they're born, well, that's, that's, that's Bible. If they get into whether transgender is okay or not, that's Bible. If they get into whether uh, uh, homosexuality is all right, and that's Bible. So the only reason you hear preachers all across the nation talking politics is because they've come into our area. We didn't go into their area. If they stayed out into their economic area, if they stayed out into their business models, and all of a sudden, we'd stay away from them. We'd say, hey, you know, vote however you want to vote. You can vote any way you want. John MacArthur just said, uh, there, uh, I don't see how a Christian can vote Democrat. And I said that 20 years ago. Maybe he did too. I, I really look at their platform, and I don't see how a Bible-believing Christian that says they believe the Bible could vote Democrat. I'm not being political, folks. I'm just telling you honestly. How do you vote when the Bible says something's wrong? How do you vote for it? When the Bible says, if you've been an evildoer, God's speed, you're a partaker of his evil deeds, found in 2 John. Now, if the Bible says, if you've been an evildoer, in other words, if you tell somebody's doing evil, have a good day, the Bible says you're going to be a partaker in his evil deeds. It warns you, don't wish him well. In other words, don't wish an evildoer well. If, if something as small as that is warned in the Bible, how much would it be for you vote for somebody that wants to abort a baby? Are you voting for somebody who wants transgenders to be fine, to be looked at as fine, normal, a normal or an alternative type of a lifestyle? Just another choice. When the Bible's so clear on that stuff, it's about righteousness. It's about salt. It's about light. It's about standing for God. So this King Jesus, this royalty, was born of lineage of the king through David. <clears throat> he, was looked, he was looked for as a king throughout all the prophets, he personally confessed he was a king to Pilate. He had it hung above his cross as a public witness. I think that's enough, but there's more, but I'm not going to go over it. Purple then reveals that the Savior was of royal blood. So blue revealed salvation came from heaven. It was God's idea. Uh, purple reveals it was from royalty. That the one who provided it was royalty. He was a king. Uh, the third color, you can put that up if you want, a little bleached out on this, 
that was at the bottom here of the of the of that curtain. Uh, this part of the curtain was the only part of the curtain that touched the earth. All of this is important. The top part didn't, the middle part didn't, but the bottom part, which was scarlet, which would have been a deep reddish, uh, blood red color, deep color, rich color, uh, crimson as it's often called, touched the earth. Scarlet represents, no doubt, the blood sacrifice required at the atonement for sin. The penalty of sin was clear, wasn't it? Genesis 2.17, But the tree of knowledge is good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. The day eat it, thou, thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. What was the penalty for sin? Death. But it wasn't just physical death. It was an eternal separation from all that's called good and God. Somebody, however, to, have, to continue to keep God just as he is and righteous as he is, somebody must die for sin. Romans 5.12 says, For for as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. There's nobody sitting in this room who hasn't sinned multiple times, many times, uh, so many times that you could, I'm not saying you'd fill a book up this big. Uh, there are people who would, but uh, not everybody sinned the same amount, but everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, no doubt about it. Uh, Either you must die for your sin, or someone must take your place and die for you. So, but that someone who dies for you cannot be dying for their own sin. No, that wouldn't work. But someone dying for you must be sinless, as Jesus was, the Son of God, who the sinless Son of God died for our sins and took those sins upon himself and did what the Bible calls substitutionary, or I think what theology called substitutionary atonement, vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ. So the scarlet represents the shedding of blood, as revealed clearly in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. And almost all things by the law are purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. After Adam had sinned, what happened? They were naked and didn't know it. They went, they went and got fig leaves, Try to sew them together. Now, you know much about plants, Brother Farmer. They don't last long, right? They come up in a day and perish in a day. So their clothing was not adequate. So what did God do? It's been said the first shedding of blood was the death of the animal that was killed to cover Adam and Eve. Substitutionary death of that animal for, to cover them. That is a perfect picture of atonement in the Old Testament. All the way from there... To Jesus, people, the shedding of the animal blood covered the sins of the people who committed them. They came by faith. They offered the animal. The animal was sacrificed. The blood was shed. It was offered to God, and consequently, it covered their sin. But it did not take it away. It was not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It was only by the blood of the Lamb that was to come, that sin could be taken away uh, from. So there's the verses. Uh, I'll give you some verses that can encourage you about that. Uh, Revelation 1.5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. First John 1.7, The blood of the B, the last part of it, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanseth us from all sin. 
1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. That's a reference back to Isaiah 53. For 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's the trading. He traded uh, his sinlessness for our sin. And we traded our sin for his righteousness. That's a good trade, amen? I stand not tonight, and you, as a born-again believer, you do not stand in your righteousness. You stand in Christ's righteousness. Nobody stands in their own righteousness. Nothing to the cross I bring, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling, brother. And uh, we, our righteousness is because of Jesus' imputed righteousness given to us because we exercise simple childlike faith in what his son did for us. Wow, that's beautiful. I'll picture this with me. The son refused to show her face at the crucifixion. You remember the crucifixion? There was a time of darkness. Y'all remember that? Amen. Say amen toward heaven. Amen. There was a, there was a time of darkness. The crucifixion was from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Those were the six hours of crucifixion. Three of those hours, darkness covered the land. The soldiers had never seen anything like it. In the thousands and crucifixions that they probably had done, they'd never seen anything like it. They had never heard a condemned man asked God to forgive them for roughly treating him and mocking him and nailing him and dropping his cross in the hole and then watching them as he was slowly dying. They never heard a victim or a criminal that they crucified say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, what they did that day. They hung, I believe they hung on every word that Jesus spoke and offered him vinegar uh, so that they would understand his speech and hear what he was saying. Out of his mouth, they heard the strangest statements of their entire career. He would cry, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, or my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken them? Uh, but not yet. First, he must ask for the Roman soldiers to be forgiven. He will cry, I thirst, but not yet. He must save the thief beside him first. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He will cry to tell a testi, or it is finished, but not yet. Not until he takes care of of his earthly mother's welfare and told John, John, this is your mother. Mom, this is your son. Uh, The the, the first of of the seven kisses of Calvary or statements of Calvary, the, the first ones are about others. And of course, the poem, Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. The Calvary, what do you see on Calvary is you see a total selflessness of the Lord Jesus Christ for you and for me. Suddenly, as his head hits his chest, the earth begins to roll and reel, shake and tremble. The rocks split 
around the soldiers, women scream, children fall as they try to run. Soldiers fall on their knees and soberly cry, truly, this is the Son of God. Wait. Wait a minute. There's something more important than what I've just said was also happening while this was going on at Golgotha. There was something bigger even than that. Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, and behold, the veil of the temple. What are we talking about tonight? We're talking about the veil of the temple. We're talking about the veil separated the holy place from the holiest place. It was blue, it was purple, and it was scarlet. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. There's a significance of the veil being ripped from top to bottom. Now, the veil, according to what I've been able to find out in my study, was about 60 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 44 inches thick. You don't just rip that material. But it wasn't hard for God. When his son hung upon that old rugged cross, it's been said, why was there three hours of darkness? I believe God the Father couldn't stand to look anymore at the suffering of his own son. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief for you and for me. It ripped from the top to the bottom. It ripped from heavenward to earthward. God initiated man's salvation. God opened the way to the most holy place. Only a son of Aaron could go into the most holy place once a year. You and I, and most of the people in this room are Gentiles. Forget us. <laughs> We're not even part of Israel. We'd have to, we'd have to proselyte. There's no Gentile allowed in the, in the temple area, except in their little designated area. They're never going to get into the holy place in the holy of holies. Gentiles, you, you people tonight, you'd never get in. That was for the children of Israel, not just for the children of Israel, but for the Levites of the children of Israel. And the Levites couldn't go anywhere. Aaron and his sons and were the only ones that really could go to the most holy place to offer the blood only once a year. Think of the significance of God ripping that veil from top to bottom. I know the Pharisees, oh, I bet when that happened, the Pharisees went in there, oh, my. I don't know if the temple got ripped up, but the Bible says the rocks rent. Maybe the temple cracked. Maybe there were some, you know, bad things going on there. And, and that was, by the way, that's Herod's temple. That was a grandiose temple. It was a big old temple, 46 years in the building. And that, that old thing ripped from top to bottom and exposed the Ark of the Covenant. Whoa, it's no longer holy. It's been exposed. What it amounted to is what it took to get you into the holiest of holies was paid for. It is finished. It's been paid. Your debt has been paid in full. To God. The Bible says it this way. You've been reconciled to God. 
and God's been reconciled to you. And now, if by simple childlike faith you'll ask, you'll, re you'll be repentance and faith in Christ. What in Christ's course being his death, burial, and resurrection. The Bible says you can have this salvation. You can have this purchase of blood that was given. I like Hebrews 10, 19, where it says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Me? Little Billy? Gets to go to the holiest? Yes. Chapter 4, he says, Come boldly before the throne of grace. Little Billy, old Gentile, gets to go to the holiest, gets to go to the throne room of God. Yes. And now my new father, not only does he allow me to go to the holiest, he, he says, come boldly before the throne of grace, that you may receive grace and mercy to help in time of need. I want to sing, brother. What are you about, Mr. K? You about ready to get up and do a song for us? Ten Corinthians five twenty says, "Now then, your ambassadors for Christ is, oh God, God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ stead be reconciled to God." The blue of this veil, Jesus' heavenly origin. The purple showed Jesus' royal kingship. The red showed Jesus' precious blood. The gospel, fourteen hundred years before the event. Now, if God can do this, and he did, how much more can he take care of us? Why you worry? Why do you worry and fret, right? There's a little song about that. You want to hear it? Here it goes. He holds the future in the palm of his hand, and he has never failed me yet. I know he is reigning and still in control, so why should I worry or fret? I know he holds the future, and I know he holds my hand. I know that as sure as I'm singing this song, I'm a part of his almighty plan. I believe, I believe, I believe. So why should I worry or friend? Nobody invites me to sing. I just, I just take my own. I close with Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands. <laughs> Which are the figures of the true. But into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Where's Christ tonight? He's appearing in the presence of God, the Father for me, for you. Makes you ashamed, doesn't it, that you worry, you fret, I wonder what's going to happen, I wonder who's going to do this and that. I know one thing, if everything collapses, I get to go to heaven. 
Amen. I get to have a new body, like on his glorious body. If everything collapses, everything fails, God's going to take care of us all the way home. The color of the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place was the gospel in front of their eyes. All that time. And the ripping of it, of course, that just, that was like, okay, this is over. Now we're going to have a better way. Come on in. Come on in. Glory to God, I'm happy I'm saved. Anyway, give a shout to heaven. I'm, I'm happy I'm saved. Uh, what can go wrong? What can go wrong? If you're born from above, you say a lot of things can go wrong. <laughs> yeah, but they're just a little temporary thing. And if you know there's an end to them, you can make it. You can make it. These things too shall pass. As long as they're willing, as long as they'll pass, you can make it. And brother and sister in Christ, I hope you revel in the salvation that you've been provided by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. I hope you walk in it, live in it, talk in it, and God helps you all the way home. Father, thank you for the few minutes we have together. Thank you for your kindness. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida, also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.